Hello and welcome back to Classical Christian Virtues. I'm your host, Dr. Timothy Dernlin, as we journey together toward the good life by cultivating virtue and resisting vice one week at a time. The companion book to this podcast is also entitled Classical Christian Virtues. You can pick that up at Amazon.com or you can get more information at TimDernlin.com. If you head over there, please do leave me a message. I like reading those each week. Finally, Subscribe to this podcast, give it a five-star rating, pass it on to a friend, and we'll build this classical Christian virtues community together. Love you all. Let's get started. Our guest this week is Dr. Joe Hendershot. As we talk about the virtue of empathy, Dr. Hendershot is a sought-after speaker about the effects of trauma on learning and behaviors and working with wounded students. As founder of Hope for the Wounded, he also provides consulting, staff training, and online courses, and has authored three books, Reaching the Wounded Student, Seven Ways to Transform the Lives of Wounded Students, and most recently, he co-authored with his wife, Darty, Supporting the Wounded Educator, a Trauma-Sensitive Approach to Self-Care. Joe has won several awards after being in education for over 30 years. He's the recipient of the 2015 National Crystal Star Award for Dropout Prevention and the 2016 Bixler Award winner, which recognizes educational excellence. His ongoing research, his practical experience as both a teacher and administrator, and his personal experience as an adoptive father give him a unique experience that is engaging, thought-provoking, and inspiring. So, uh, Joe, my good friend, thanks for joining me on the show. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. It's my honor to be here, and I'm humbled to be on your uh, show tonight. Uh, I appreciate you making time. We're going to jump into empathy, and just to remind our audience, we come at uh, the idea of virtues and living a virtuous life from an Aristotelian point of view, and that means that we're seeking the golden mean, and today we're talking about empathy and the desire to be empathetic, and we can't be we can't have the virtue of empathy without action. And so we're looking to strike that golden mean of empathy. And the idea that if we have a deficiency in that area of our life, the deficiency of empathy would be the vice of hard-heartedness. And if we have the too much empathy, we would fall into the vice of enablement. So when I talk about uh, uh, empathy, Joe, what comes to your mind? Empathy is just really caring for one another um, to to feel what someone else feels. And I think sometimes when I talk about empathy, people use the term to step in someone else's shoes. And that's usually where a lot of people will go with empathy. And I hear that a lot when I talk about it. People say, oh, just to step in someone else's shoes. And I ask them to dig deeper on that. And it's really to step in someone else's shoes and to take on their feelings and to feel what they're feeling. So I think that's really what jumps out at me uh, the most is just to be able to take on someone else's feelings. And I'll talk a little bit deeper about some of my experiences in, as an educator and, and why uh, I chose to dig deep into this research. When, when did you first get turned on to this idea? Do you remember a, a certain time in life where you really kind of were woke up to the idea of uh, the importance of the virtue of empathy? You know, Tim, I, th- I think it was really just working and seeing so many kids. I, I think I'm going to go back to my, my first book, Reaching the Wounded Student. I, 
you know, we call our kids in, in education at risk. And I don't want to turn this to an at-risk session, uh, but really, um, to answer your question honestly, uh, the kids I was working with were really beyond at risk. They were really wounded kids, kids beyond at risk. And talk, so, talk to me more about that. What do you mean by that? That they're they're not at risk. They're beyond at risk. They're wounded. Well, usually in in the education field, or, or even in uh, when we talk about at risk kids, we talk about prevention things. You know, we're putting things and measures in place so kids don't fall behind academically so kids don't um you know get hurt so you know uh preventative type measures you know we want them to graduate on time so we're putting in at-risk programs well the research says that about 50 percent i've read as high as 60 percent of our kids are dealing with trauma uh so really the kids i was working with in, in juvenile lockup facilities uh uh, treatment centers and get, you know trying to get to, to answer your question uh you know i just felt there was something missing that they were beyond that risk that what i really found out was they were wounded kids and i think my heart really started to change and mold shape when i really connected those dots that yes we do have at risk risk kids and we do have to have preventive measures in place so kids don't fall behind them and to do that but we also have a, a group of kids that are beyond at risk. Uh, research says 25% of our kids school preschoolers are, have already dealt with trauma, you know, and we're talking, you know, close to 35 million kids, if the research is correct, that are dealing, you know, with wounds. And in light of what's going on in our world today, how many more of our kids are, are gonna be wounded with things that, are, that have taken place in our world today? But I guess to answer your question, when it hit me is when I started to hear the stories and I would ask the what questions to kids, you know, what happened uh, that, that caused them to be in a treatment center? What happened uh, to them for them to be locked up? And I started to hear their stories and my, my heart started to break. And, uh, and I, I just, I knew there, I just really felt like there was something deeper going on. And how, how could I make the connection with children to step in someone else's shoes and feel what they're feeling when I haven't lived their story. Um, I've lived my story. So I think to answer your question really started uh, striking me when I started to hear the stories of kids locked up and in treatment centers. Well, as I've, uh, as I've been studying virtue, it, I'm seeing more and more and more of the interplay between all the virtues and, and, and becoming um, balanced and imbalanced and how it can lead to vice. And when I think of you, I think of someone who really has a heart for justice and uh, loyalty. And um, I think that that sense of uh, rightness and justice has really served you well in your role then with Hope for the Wounded and seeking to help um, bring, show light on this idea of woundedness in students and then that need for empathy. I want to hear kind of what led you to really focus on your doctoral dissertation. And you can, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think to go back to your, you know, point on justice. And, and I think even before I led to my doctoral dissertation on empathy, uh, I led my wife and I down a path of uh, working with foster children and, and, and ultimately adopting children. Um, we were going to uh, foster and adopt one child was our plan. 
God had a different plan for our life. God bless you with lots more. <laughs> God bless us with lots more. Uh, but but you know this this thing on on just justice, and I have to be honest, Tim. You know, uh, a lot of people say, well, Joe did his doctoral dissertation on empathy, so he must be an expert. But I have to say, you know, if I'm being really honest, honest with the audience out there, you know, the one thing I want to make sure that it's clear is that. Um, you know, empathy, you know, you have to be able to put away the judgment card mm. and, and, uh, for justice to prevail in, in, in what I've done in my personal life, I was introduced as an expert in empathy and, and early on. And I thought, well, I've wrote a book. I, I must be, you know, uh, uh, but in reality, it wasn't until we adopted our first foster child, um, that I really had to take a good, hard look at my heart. Uh, on this topic of empathy, um, because honestly, you know, I was writing books, I was researching, and I was saying, yeah, we got to be more empathetic. We got to position kids for empathy, and I believe that's all true. But in, there was this part of me that still dug deep into myself that I had this judgment card that said, you know, well, maybe if this kid chose better friends, they wouldn't be wounded. Maybe uh, if uh, they had better parents, they wouldn't be wounded. Maybe if they had a better community, they wouldn't be wounded. You know, maybe if they made better choices, they wouldn't be wounded, you know? So I went down that road, but they told us when we were going to foster children, we would adopt teenage uh, teenagers, probably teenage boys was the highest need, which by the way, I want to throw a shout out right now to um, the 2020 research says that this year in 2020, there will be nearly 11 million cases of abuse in the globe, uh, in our world. Uh, 8,000 children will die of abuse and neglect. And the need for foster families in this country is for 7.2 million children. So, you know, I'm going, I'm going back to, again, look at my heart and I'm sitting there and I, I had this judgment card mm. when we were told that we were going to get a teenage boy. Well, my wife called me one day and she said, are you sitting down? And of course I sat down and she says, our, our first call came in for a foster child. And I said, well, how old is he and where is he at? Because they told us that we'd probably get a teenager or a young man. And um, she said, no, it's a little girl. And she's in uh, the Columbus Hospital. And she's five weeks premature, four pounds, and was born homeless. And she said, what do you think? And I said, I, I think you're halfway to that hospital. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and she was. She was in our. I was gonna say, no, and Darty, I bet she was. <laughs> <laughs> she was halfway to the hospital on that call, and, and uh, with her friend Jody, and she made me go pick up diapers and all this. But I say all that to, to say when when we brought my when my wife brought our foster daughter home, and I held this little four pound, five weeks premature little homeless girl in my hands, who's now our daughter, but at the time our foster daughter. She spoke to this and changed my total heart on this topic of empathy, that she spoke this to my heart when I held her and looked into her eyes. She said, Dad, some kids just come into the world wounded. Oh, wow. Wow. And it wasn't a choice. And if woundedness was a choice, tell me who would choose it? Hmm. Who would choose abuse? Who would choose neglect? Who would choose, you know, homelessness? Who would choose... 7.2 million children, you know, that need foster care in this, in this country this year, you know, who would choose this? So it really made me, you know, I want to say I dug deep in research and I really became scholarly on this, you know, it really wasn't that Tim, it was really about the children, the, the kids stories and lockup, 
treatment centers, my foster children, uh, my adopted children really taught me uh, about empathy and, and what, it, what it's like to feel what someone else must be feeling. And, and, and that's where the questions get deep sometimes is, you know, can I really feel what it's like to be that broken at that level? And, uh, you know, it, it pulls on your heartstrings for sure. Well, obviously, there's only one person who can truly feel all of that, right? That's our our, our wounded Savior, Christ. Um, but uh, but seeking to do that, it's interesting how you're saying you can't you can't um, read or study your way into empathy. Um, you have to um, begin to experience life with others and uh, start interacting with others to truly develop empathy. And um, I think that's one of one of the reasons we're struggling with empathy in America today and around the world is that um, we're we're withdrawing from others. We're or at least we're withdrawing from individuals who aren't like us. And it's hard to uh, be empathetic when we're we're living that out. Um, you have any thoughts on our our current uh, current state in America? It seems that. Uh, modern American culture just struggles really greatly with this concept of empathy. Well, I hope that, cha- I hope uh, the current events are, are changing that in our world and in our culture. I hope uh, the current events changes to be a more empathic society. Um, do, they, do you think COVID-19 is going to help or hinder that or some of both? Uh, I think it's going to help because, you know, to feel what someone else feels and step in someone else's shoes I mean, everybody, there's not a country in the world that's not being affected by COVID-19. Um, you know, everybody's feeling it. That's a good point. So in some ways, that is a common language or experience that everyone in the world has been touched by. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, my hope is that it makes us a more empathic and brings us all closest together um, because, you know, we all need each other. And we can't isolate to, to solve this issue. We can't isolate to solve uh, the racial issues. We have to come together. You know, we have to come together. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, paraphrase uh, in Mother Teresa's uh, book, uh, Where There Is Love, There Is God. I paraphrase. She said, uh, the ills of society today is based on the fact that we've become indifferent to the needs of our brothers and sisters. Hmm. And that spoke to me because I think about, you know, um, you know, people talk about hate crimes and, and hate's a terrible emotion. It's a wrong emotion. It's an emotion we don't like. It's emotion we should have. It's terrible and it's wrong. Um, but I think the things that have gone on in our world and the things that need to change is really the indifference, uh, you know, yeah. because, yeah. you know, hate is still an emotion. It's a wrong emotion. It's terrible. Uh, and it shouldn't be accepted or allowed at any level, but it's still an emotion. Indifference means you could care less emotionally about that person at any level. And, uh, and that, that indifference matches up with um, the vice of hard-heartedness. So if you're indifferent, you can also be hard-hearted and because of a, a, a deficiency of empathy. Yeah, the old society is based on the fact we become indifferent to the needs of our brothers and sisters. So, the judge in the Nuremberg trials, you know, one of the worst crimes against humanity. There are many crimes against humanity. The, 
many of which we could set a name all night. But one of the worst crimes we would we could probably agree on uh, would be the Holocaust. It's one of the worst crimes against humanity. The judge of the Nuremberg trials, in his closing comments of the Nuremberg trials, said the Holocaust was a failure of empathy. Wow. It was very short and very powerful comment in his closing comments. Wow. How can we develop more empathy? Is there a way to move from our current state of empathy into a place of being more empathic? Well, sure. I, I mean, there's many parts to empathy. Um, the three parts that is to recognize the feelings, again, feelings and perspective of others. We could, we could talk about a perspective consciousness, which we'll talk about in a, in a minute. But recognize the feelings of others, learn to listen, and then, then to express understanding. You know, we kind of live in a society where we don't listen. We say we listen, but we don't really listen. And, and I can go down, you know, how many times, you know, you go somewhere and somebody just, somebody's looking to listen to respond. They're not listening to express understanding. They're listening to respond. Yep. But I think those are the three main areas that, that I've seen on empathy. Recognize the, the feelings of others, to feel what others are feeling. Yep. Uh, to learn to listen and then express understanding. And if we look what's going on in our culture today, Tim, you know, a big part of that is learning to listen. Uh, I have a blended family. We've adopted children from all over the world, different nationalities. But I don't know what it's like to grow up in a different country. I don't know what it's like to be raised with brown skin or in our country or, or, or black skin or, you know, so I, I, but I have to listen and then I have to understand to dig deep. I, I do know what it's like to raise children, you know, with brown skin and black skin, but I didn't, I can't speak to what it's like to grow up that way. So for me to be truly empathic, I have to learn to listen and then express my understanding of what I'm hearing. And, the, and those three steps match with uh, knowledge, belief, and action, which goes along with almost anything in life to truly um, inculcate it into your uh, behavior. You have to not just know, but listen, believe, and then act out on it. So it's um, a lot of times we're just not willing to truly listen openly. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's an important part of, uh, of empathy. So that's good. So, so Joe, do you ever get accused of, um, of, Oh, if you're going to be so empathic and show so much empathy and hope and grace and mercy, then you must not just have any rules or standards. You must just let, let, let anything go. Well, <laughs> when I go out and do training, I, I tell people all the time, you're, if you talk about empathy too much, and if you're going to be an empathic educator, uh, you're going to get accused of kids taking advantage of you, you know, not having rules, you know, if you're, you're just a nice person, you know, so they're going to take advantage of you. And so I never really had a great answer for that. You know, I, I never really had, I wish I had come up with this on my own. But I was, I, I can't remember if it was one of the radio, radio shows or TV shows I was listening to one night and they were interviewing uh, Doc, uh, 
Father Gregory Boyle, uh, who wrote a book called Tattoos on the Heart. And somewhere in there, and again, I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing all this, um, they said he works with gang members in East Los Angeles and he, and he works with them. And there's a whole story behind that. Uh, it's an amazing book. But they, he said, the interviewers asked uh, Father Boyle, he said, there's, there's people that think that these, these gang members are just taking advantage of you, to which Father Boyle responded was, they, they can't take uh, advantage of me because you see, I give my advantage away. Uh, that's great. And so if we learn that we have an advantage in life and we learn to give it away, I think, you know, the way we view it is we're being empathic to our brothers and sisters. And, and he calls it a mutuality or a kinship is, is father Boyle's terms of maybe empathy, you know, kind of paraphrasing again, some of his work, um, Robert Hamby might even call it a perspective consciousness and that's to have an awareness of and an appreciation that other people have views of the world different than our own. So again, that goes back to that, that listening, um, you know, to being taken advantage of to say, you know, the ability to understand, appreciate that other people have views of the world different than our own. You know, Tim, if you and I talk long enough here, we would probably have different views of the world. Of course, we have different mental models um, for for a variety of reasons. Um, some from our experiences, some from our uh, studies and beliefs. But of course, we're going to have uh, different mental mental models, um, and uh, uh, that's that's to be expected. You're, you're heading right towards it. It's having that. If if I'm listening to you, and I appreciate, it's not just understanding, but appreciating your view of the world. Sure makes sure. us more empathic, you know. And, and, and um, uh, empathy, you, you have to have humility as well. If, if you don't have humility and you think that you have everything figured out and that you're the expert in all things and your understanding or opinion or belief on everything is perfect, um, that's, the, that's just the vice of pride that's going to tear you down in every area and especially in empathy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, just having the opportunities that I've had to work with so many kids in my career told me that there's many, many, many stories to brokenness across the least across the United States where I've worked and now I've gone to the other countries and and heard other stories from other educators. Um, so I agree with you 100. percent Humility is one of the uh, one of the root virtues, but just that understanding that that we we don't have everything figured out because we are fallen. We're no longer in the Garden of Eden. And so we, we, we got to have that understanding that somebody else might have something figured out that we don't. And that's, that's part, of, part of empathy or just their experiences, knowing that they have different experiences and mental models and being willing to listen and learn from others. So I have a, a quote. It's anonymous. I want to get your reaction to it. Uh, empath, empathy is seeing with the eyes of another listening with the ears of another and feeling with the heart of another. You know, I quit going to principal conferences and curriculum conferences a long time ago. <laughs> um, uh, Cause I, I, I had that stuff down after, you know, so many years and I kept going to the same conferences and I finally uh, started going to, to counseling conferences and, and started training at, at the seminary a little, in fact, actually did my dissertation work under, uh, Dr. Terry Wardle at the uh, Theological Seminary. And um, 
you know, wanted to see what it was like, not just through others' eyes, but to see what empathy is like through God's eyes. Hmm. And, um, you know, not through just Joe Hendershot's eyes. Um, but, but what I learned was to ask what questions and not why questions and, you know, what, what happened and, you know, to ask those deeper questions with kids allowed me to, to hear their stories and, and, and to, um, really open up my eyes and, and then, you know, to dig deep into my faith and what God expects from me. Yeah, that's great. Do you have anything else you'd like to, to add or talk about? The one thing that a lot of people today are living with that they need empathy for is false beliefs. False beliefs about themselves uh, coming out of their wounds. And I think if we can help children, especially, I mean, anybody, uh, but I work specifically with children. I spent my career working with children. Um you know, you hear a lot of false beliefs. A lot of kids say things like, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm, um, I'm too big. I'm too small. I'm too skinny. I'm too heavy. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. You know, all these false beliefs come out of the wounds. And, um, and I think it's important for us to realize that we can't consequence people out of their wounds. And I think some of our old models and, and education was, you know, to try to consequence people out of their behavior or, their, or what I would say, consequence them out of their wounds and realize that you can't. And my, my four children um, that come to us from a broken background, um, I have to respond differently with through empathetic eyes. Uh, my daughter, I'll, I'll tell a real quick story again, because I'm a storyteller. Uh, the other day, um, her brother ate the last donut before breakfast, <laughs> which sounds like a very simple uh, issue, you know, but, but to my daughter who comes from wounds of withholding, it, it struck a nerve with her. It, it was like, she, she went down her old false beliefs. I'm always the last one to the table. Um, I, I never get first. I'm, I'm always, um, I never get what I want. And she boils down all these things because her brother ate the last donut. And, and she finally hits the home run of all false beliefs. As she goes down this list of false beliefs, she finally says, and by the way, nobody loves me. Uh Oh, now this is all over a donut, Tim. Yeah. 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 But it was, uh, that was, that's one revealing donut. Yeah. Because well, in reality, are her feelings real? And then, and then absolutely they're real. Uh, but are they true? No. So I have two ways to deal with this in an empathic level. I can try to consequence her out of this behavior and say, Hey, you know, you need to quit complaining or you won't get a donut the next time, yep. you know? But what I had to say was I had to take a step back and I had to look at where she was coming from her, my, her perspective of, of life, even though it's young, um, coming out of her reality again, which, which wasn't true. I mean, it, her reality is true. Um, but the truth that she said, nobody loves me. I had to kneel down beside my daughter because now she had melted down on the floor. And I said, that's not true because your dad loves you. Yeah. Yep. You know, that your dad loves you. And she looked at me, she said, okay, you love me, but no, nobody else loves me. 
And I said, well, let me go check with mom. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think mom loves you too. I think you got eight brothers and sisters who love you. Uh, I think you got a soccer team that voted you the captain. You know, and we went down all the truths then to pour into the wound that made it a, more of an empathic response in her life. But the truth is, you know, I had to say as her father that I loved her and there's nothing she can do to spoil that love or to ruin that love. And that's so true of God that we don't have to measure up Tim for his love. We don't have to uh, show up, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, the right haircut or the right clothes or, or the right uh, letters behind our name or, anything, you know, titles or, or any of those things that none of those things matter. God loves us right where we're at. And just like he loved my daughter or I love my daughter, you know, in, in that moment of her, her brokenness. You, you, um, need, you needed to be a reflection of God to her in that moment in, in loving her through her uh, self deprecation and her meltdowns, just as, as uh, we all have meltdowns in, in different ways over, things similar to donuts, right? In the eyes of God, like, no, no, Joe, that's, that's not true. Don't think that way about yourself. Um, so I like how you put that, that, um, the, the feelings are real, the, um, and the emotions are real, but it doesn't mean that the thoughts are true. And, um, and so when, when you phrased it, you can't consequence people out of it. Um, I've been using the phrase and I picked it from up from somewhere along the lines that we're seeking heart transformation, not behavior modification. When we deal with the, the students at school, we're not, we're not trying to uh, legislate or, or modify their behavior. We're trying to transform their hearts when we're working with them. And sometimes that's messier, but it can be so much better for the child. Well, it's absolutely true, Tim. You know, I always say you can't teach empathy. You have okay. to position kids to experience it with one another. And I think that's so true in our world. We need to experience an empathic connection with one another. And once you experience that heart transformation, you know, then, then we can cure the, the, the ills of society, as Mother Teresa talks about, you know, that the needs of our brothers and sisters are met, you know, so we can cut through the, this racial divide so we can cut through and work together to solve uh, the, the, the medical issues we're dealing with with COVID-19 so we can all work together and not be divisive. You know, I heard it, I heard it once said that we have to have a common vision in this world or we're going to have constant division. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that's true, whether we're in a corporate model, you know, when education, if we weren't, didn't have a common vision on discipline, we had division. You know, if we didn't have a common vision on where we were taking our kids academically, we had division. And we could take that into our communities and into our cultures, that we have to have a common vision on how we're going to be empathic with one another, to understand each other's perspectives, to, to love from the heart of God. That, that, that no one has to measure up uh, to, to, to receive God's love. And I, I just think that that was such an important thing that I learned along the line was that, you know, we have to have a common vision of what God's love is really like or we're going to have constant division.
Yeah, that's great. That's where that's where uh, driving us back into the truth of God's word is important. And um, in any organizational culture, shared values, assumptions, and beliefs um, unite uh, a strong culture, and that goes it rings true with society as well. I want to turn our attention to some of your work and promote some of your work. I'd love for people to go and visit your website, Hope for the Wounded. And um, can you spell out the address for us so it gets typed in properly and then also put it in the show notes? Sure. It's uh, Hope for the Wounded. It's uh, H-O-P-E, the number four. So we use the number four, hope for the wounded.org. And if you go to uh, our webpage, the very first thing you'll, when you go to the homepage, we have um, a 21 question survey on empathy, compassion fatigue, some, some of the things that we're talked about tonight. Um, about a 21 question survey on empathy that if you uh, email us, uh, we will email it to you for free. Uh, you can use it uh, for yourself. You can use it for your organization, your school, whatever. Um, it's my doctoral dissertation work. Uh, it's totally free. Uh, go to our webpage and, and look for it. Uh, we have other podcasts. Uh, we've interviewed other people on family, uh, family values, homelessness, uh, some podcasts some webinars. Um, we have some online courses, um, professional development courses, uh, for graduate credit or to take them, um, for a certificate, you could take them that way. Um, so yeah, we have a lot of things on there. We have a, a, a nine minute video on our front page that, that, uh, talks about warriors of hope, like all the listeners out there, uh, today, uh, I, I know that everybody listening is a warrior of hope, uh, for change in this world. Uh, and, and, and you've actually created a whole army of warriors of hope. So there's, you've been reaching so many people. So, uh, for our listeners, um, I brought, uh, Dr. Hendershot into, our school a couple of years ago and trained our whole staff how to be warriors of hope and how to um, be empathic and and all, some of the things he t- he's talked about today and so much more. He's gone around the nation training thousands and thousands and thousands of um, uh, staff and 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 faculty members at schools. He's gone um, around the world now um, to many different places. To, to train folks. So if you want to have Joe in to do your speaking, um, there's a, a variety of different ways to contact with him and training that he offers and uh, different grants that are available that you can use to, to uh, fund him to come out. And he just makes a, a great uh, difference and wakes people up to realizing that no matter where you're at, there's wounded people in front of you and there's wounded students that need to be uh, come alongside of so, um, Joe, talk a little bit more about your work. I'm sorry to interrupt there. We have three virtues that we talk about, understanding, reaching, and transforming. And to reach anybody, you must first understand them and to transform them, you have to be able to reach them. And we talk about coming from, um, you know, kids coming from uh, emotional to survival to critical thinking. So, and that's true of all of us. And we all need empathy because sometimes we get emotional. Sometimes we're in survival. And we're always not in critical thinking mode. And so, uh, you know, I love being a part of this broadcast tonight, um, talking about empathy because it all ties together, you know, understanding, reaching, transforming, uh, and helping our young kids 
just walking alongside him and understanding so we can reach him. And, you know, our first book's called Reaching the Wounded Child, Re- Reaching the Wounded Student. Our, our first book's called Reaching the Wounded Student. Uh, and our second book's called Transforming Seven Ways to Transform the Lives of Wounded Students. And then our third book is called Supporting the Wounded Educator, which really we talk about that could be anybody who works with children, uh, you know, social worker, licensed social worker, counselors. And you mentioned the term compassion fatigue. Does that show up in that book? It shows up in, in uh, yeah, uh, Supporting the Wounded Educator. We talk a lot about compassion fatigue and, um, you know, going back to Mother Teresa, uh, it, and I can't remember the number of years. I think every four or five years, Mother Teresa made uh, the nuns take a year off of their caregiving work to rest and to heal. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, resting and healing is such a part of of this um, of this work, and taking good uh, self care is so, is so important. So we don't get burned out. And so, whether you're a pastor out there, we don't want you to leave. Uh, the church and find something else to do. We don't want you to leave the pulpit. You know, if you're a, a licensed social worker, you're listening out there, we need you. I know we need you because I've worked with you to, to help in the adoption of my children. You know, if you're a counselor out there, I've seen counselors work with so many broken people and, and help transform their lives. You know, we, we can't afford to have you burned out. Um, you know, a school administrators, 10 year school administrator, you know, uh, you got a lot of work, you got a lot of people under you that, that you're responsible for, but you got a self-care, um, you know, so that's what that book's about. Um, and it comes out of our experience because, you know, and I guess, you know, I, and I guess I'll just, I'll just say it, you know, um, I, I got my, my bachelor's, my master's and my, my PhD and, and through all that work in education, we never spent, um, one second, talking about self-care. Yeah, that's... Uh, no, we, we just didn't. That's good. I, 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 and I think we're starting to realize in all our professions that we need to take, um, you know, some time for, for that. And uh, I wish that something that I would have had would have been helpful towards me, for me in my career. And that's, um, and that's uh, important it's on my mind because we just talked about it a couple of weeks ago with uh, dignity. A lot of times we talk about dignity in others and that others have dignity, but we need to realize that we have dignity and we're, we're, uh, we need to treat ourselves uh, like someone who's, who's um, created in the image of God. And that does include rest. It does include um, caring for ourselves, not just physically, but psychologically and emotionally and surrounding ourselves with um, good like-minded people and immersing ourselves in the word of God and, and, th- and then just resting, resting so that we can continue to uh, do good work uh, for others and uh, for the glory of God. So yeah. I, I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you. Well, can I just say one last thing that the kids taught me and I'll close yeah. with this? Absolutely. You know, Tim, one day I, I had to put all my doctoral research aside and, you know, I was reading about theorists and uh, all the definitions of empathy and, and practitioners. And I had, you know, paper stacked up here and I just shoved it all aside one day and said, what do the kids say? What are the, how important is this empathy? And I, I guess I want to close with this. Um, and I, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of kids in their jail cells or, or correctional facilities 
Um, and I, and I asked the what question and it would tell me their story. And, uh, at the end of their story, they would look at me and they would say these words. And I don't know if you've ever heard this. And, and many of us that work with children have heard kids say this. They'll look at me and they'll, they'll look me in the eye and they'll say, do you feel me? Yeah. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, if the, if the definition of empathy is to feel what someone else feels and a kid is looking at me after they told me their story of brokenness and says to me, do you feel me? Here's what they're saying to me. Can you be empathic with me? Hmm. I need your empathy. I need your compassion. So when we say that our kids today in this world, our people aren't telling us what they need, we're not listening. Hmm. Because I believe people in this world are starting to say, do you feel me? And we hear it all the time. Tim, you've heard it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's standard language with kids. Do you feel me? And, and, some, and sometimes it comes out that eloquent and sometimes it comes out in anger, but that's a lot of what um, they're asking for, right? Is, uh, is that empathy, that love, that compassion that will give them hope. And, um, and that's what, that's what uh, you're seeking to provide, right? Hope for the wounded. Yep. Yep. And that's all they're asking for is for our empathy and our compassion. And I think when we can say, yeah, yeah, I feel what you're saying. You can see, you can see this, them start to calm down because they've been heard and they've been they've been they've been listened to. So I just wanted to kind of close with that because I don't want to come across as, hey, I learned all this in my PhD work. It really came out of really came out of the jail cells, the treatment centers, the adoptions. It's really been the kids that have taught me a lot about what what God's love really needs to look like, um, and and. And I'm trying to get better at that every day, um, but I fall short many days. Um, but I ask for God's forgiveness on the days that I fall short. Amen. I love it. I love it. That's that whole idea of our theology coming out of our fingertips so that we can live uh, live that out like Christ did. Joe, I, I appreciate you. This has been a great conversation with Dr. Joe Hendershot. Please check out his work at Hope for the Wounded. I appreciate you having me on. And- uh, again, honored and humbled that you invited me on. Uh, and then thank you so much. And thank Thanks, you to the brother. listeners out there. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can help build this community by subscribing to this podcast, sharing it with a friend, giving it a five-star rating, or writing a comment or review below. All four of those things really, really help. If you'd like to go deeper into this study, you can pick up Classical Christian Virtues at Amazon.com. And follow along with us, answer the additional questions in your book, and dive a little deeper. While you're at it, you can pick up a copy for a friend. If you'd like to contact me directly, please go to timdernland.com and shoot me a message. I'd really like to hear from you. Until next time, may God the Father bless you and the Holy Spirit guide you. You strive to live like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by resisting vice and cultivating virtue for the good of others and the glory of God alone.